Sharktoberfest, the show where we watch shark movies and drink Oktoberfest beer and tell you a bunch of stuff you may not care about. <laughs> my name is Logan Nielsen, I'm one of your hosts, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and resident brewmeister, Dustin Pixley. Hi, Dustin! Hi, Logan. How are you? I am good. Nice. Yeah. Good to see you. It's great to see you. It's episode 11, man. Sharktoberfest. We are Getting there. Episode 11 out of 12. We're almost done. It's the last week. Mind blown. But this is episode 11. This time, it's personal. It's very personal. That's the tagline for this episode's movie, Jaws The Revenge. It's technically not Jaws 4. It's no. Jaws colon The, the Revenge. Revenge. And um, not to jump too far ahead, but it's about shark revenge. <laughs> Spoilers, dude. Sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry to spoil it so quick. But before we get to that... Wait, what if this movie took a weird turn and it wasn't about a shark? It was about... But revenge in the family or something? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, a Brody killing another Brody. Yeah. Or about them getting revenge on a shark. Yeah. That has nothing to do with the Jaws franchise. Or a shark getting revenge on another shark. Now that I would watch. I'd watch that movie. Shark Fight? Shark fight. Hashtag shark fight. <laughs> All right. The beer. The beer. We are let's get to our beer. We've been weirdly getting a little more local as we've gone. Yeah, it's like it's the circle is slowly closing <laughs> closer and closer as we yeah, go. Yeah, the the sharks have been circling and finding their way to us. Cause now not only are we not this isn't a beer just in Iowa. No, oh, no. This is this is hometown. This is literally here. We are in Mason City, Iowa. And this is from Fat Hill Brewing. Which is right here in Mason City. Right downtown. It's not our, that far away. In our big old town. Yeah, it's like a five-minute drive. <laughs> literally. Yeah, it's it's literally that close. Uh, I've been there before. It's a nice little brewery. It's big. It's a fun spot, yeah. It's a nice big open spot, which I enjoy. Yeah, the I like the floors. They're like old school wooden. Yeah. And the, the walls got that old cobblestone looking. We usually say this about beers, but I'll say it about an actual bar. It's crisp. It's clean. <laughs> It's crunchy. Dances on the teeth. Uh, but I, no, I, I've i only been there once or twice. Obviously, I've been there many more times, you being I'm a resident of this Well, town. and that's the thing. I've only been living back here for a little bit. And once I was, a global pandemic happened. Yes. So I haven't gone to any bar. No, and they, they're not actually open. They're... they're uh, they're keeping it pretty safe. That so. I think is smart. But this you were able to but they're selling to go orders. To go orders. Yep. So you stop by, you pick up this beer. What what's it called? Does it have a special name or no, they don't really do a lot with names. Very rarely okay. do they actually name beers as a couple, but um. So this is just the Fat Hill Oktoberfest is what it says in the back here. Yep. Uh five point seven. Uh seven, excuse me. Seven. Five point seven. I did it again. Did you call it seven? I'm saying seven. Five point Seven. There it is. Okay. ABV. ABB. That was crunchy. (laughs) It was crunchy. Um, thirty-two fluid ounces. What the fuck? What? What? Didn't that giant can in your hand give that away? 
no, I don't know how ounces work. <laughs> yeah, the, so you bought two just growlers, right? Uh, or what are these called? Crowlers. Crowlers, that's right. Because growlers are the big... 64 ounce. Those are the big jugs. Yes, right? glass yeah. jugs. That's that's a growler, but this is the, a crowler. The glass equivalent of what you're holding is yeah. called a howler. It's kind of cute. That's adorable. They just replaced the first letter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's pretty much just jumping that letter <laughs> just around. the first consonant sound. I like that. Yeah. A, a tiny one is a sowler. I just I like it. Um, I I didn't I didn't think we were going to subvert the ounces. I thought that was my my constant through the show was twelve fluid ounces. That was your safe zone. And, and then here you are throwing a goddamn curveball at me, Dustin. And had to, be, had to be done. Had to be done. And I'll let you know right now, listeners. We didn't bring glasses down here. No, <laughs> we made the conscious decision. <laughs> we're just gonna drink. Right off the can. These crowlers. Uh, let's crack them open. Let's see how let's see how crisp a, a crowler sounds when it opens. Ooh. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm scared to clink these. Yeah, let's not. They're really full, <laughs> and it's not gonna pick up in our. Experience. Hey, let's, let's just do a really, really gentle one. A really. There we go. That was a really gentle one. Honestly, kind of even felt better than some of the other cans we've clinked. They actually, kind of. since it's so big, it kind of resonated through it. Okay, and this is our first sample. We haven't had these at all. We've never tasted this. I've probably had it in the past. Oh, but maybe, but you don't remember. No, I don't really remember. Really stuck with you, huh? Really made an impact. All right, Prost, here we go. I like that. It's good. It's it's very, I, very malty, right? You're picking up a lot of the... I'm picking up a lot of malt, but it's not like overwhelming. I like it. Yeah, Let me let me get one more. Get another one. Dig in there. There he goes. Work it around. Work it on the palate. The body's nice, where it stays on the tongue. We've talked mm-hmm. about that before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, the fl- the flavor lingers nicely. Yeah, that's a good one. I actually like this a lot, Dustin. Not that I'm surprised. Yeah. Uh, Jake does a great job. He He's a very good brewer. Whoa, very Jake, consistent. first name basis with the brewer. Oh, we chat. We chat sometimes. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Fucking favoritism in here. Oh, you, Jake's Jake's greasing some palms. You want to? Oh, you want to hear something? What? I went in with my mask on and my yeah. hat, and the dude behind the counter is like, "You're Dustin, right?" Jesus Christ! I'm fucking known, dude. Well, is Fat Hill gonna sponsor the show or what? Maybe throw us a few bones. They can be <laughs> our sponsor for everything we do from now on. Uh, no, I'm genuinely. I like this a lot. It's really good. It's really clean. That's the it's thing really too. clean. A lot of small breweries I've noticed just. Cannot like especially small town ones. Yeah, you can really taste the. You don't know what you're doing. The stank. Yeah. Hashtag, this, hashtag taste the stank. <laughs> taste the stank. Yes. But this is clean. It's so clean. I like this a lot, actually. This I I'm not a hundred percent sure it'll be in my top three. It jumped above a lot of them though. Oh, easily. Yeah. I actually really like this. This is actually really tasty. It's close. If it's not three, it might be four. Yeah. It's so hard. There's so many good ones, but then there's well, yeah. also but but also so this one ones. though is some of the ones that were like pretty good all kind of tasted the same. This yeah. I do feel like it's hitting my tongue different than you know some of the other ones if that makes sense. But I it's it it kind of tastes it just has a, a slightly different flavor while still tasting like a malty a little more distinct Octoberfest a little bit yeah a little more distinct. It just it uh, again I wish I had the the words that you have sometimes for beer. Just make one up. It just, well, no, it's just, it just hits my mouth different. It hits, it hits my mouth, mouth a little bit different okay. than some of the other ones. Because we have a few in the middle that we did that kind of blend together for me. 
I, no, that I, I hear you. Yeah, that yeah, I don't yeah. quite like. None of them really stood out to me enough to really make their own impression. They just kind of no, they're they're just a beer. They just kind of tasted like Oktoberfest generally. This though, it's a little more caramelly. Yeah, it kind of tastes a little more like that instead of the kind of biscuity flavor that we've talked about. Right. This almost has a little bit. Probably more has of, a little more. I'm just, I'm winging it here, but I'm thinking a little more of the Munich malt in it. Maybe opposed to the Vienna. And maybe a little slight less of the Pilsner. Sometimes you get a little biscuity off the Pilsner, too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This is doing it for me. It's it's very tasty. I like it. I think it's good. Good job, Fat Hill. Because you get worried as the breweries get smaller that the, you know what I mean, the, the risk. Because it's like either it could be really good or really bad. Like, that's why I found with really small, like kind of small town breweries, it's like, you, oh, it's hit, one of, there's hardly any middle ground. It's usually like either like Ugh, or oh okay. You absolutely. know what I mean? Oh, those absolutely. are the two modes you get. Like I said, a lot of the small town ones I hit, I can just pick out so many off flavors, and it's just yeah. it's in the process is where it's at. Right? Yeah. And I know they're trying, but but this is like I would love to taste this in a bottle. Yeah. Not that I would change it a lot, but just this tastes crisp. It tastes like it's out of like a bottled beer a little bit. Yeah, and it's we we also get the advantage too. It's so fresh. It's obviously. so fresh. Just came out of the tree. Yeah. Uh, we just went downtown. We tapped the tree. Yeah, they tapped the tree. That's the beer tree. That's where beer grows, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any information on got, Fat Hill Brewing? Kind of a little bit. Aside There's from not- that, you fucking know everyone who works there. Um, I do. Okay. There's not a lot because they're very uh, new. Yeah, how long have they, have they been around? So they opened in December of 2016. Oh, okay. By husband and wife, Jake and Molly. I also okay. know Molly's wife. No big deal. Jesus Christ. They all know me. I I hate having this sponsorship that we're not fucking paid for. <laughs> I'm, I, I don't like unpaid product placement. It's annoying me. I'm sorry. It's fine. I didn't, I didn't know I was being played, Dustin. Got you, sucker. Ugh. I waited to get 11 episodes deep till we get some people. At least the beer's good. If it sucked and you're just like, everyone there's great, and then I'd have a really hard time. I'd be, I'd have a, a lot harder time finding my words. Do you know a little bit of Spanish? A, a touch. Very little. Do you know what Cerro Gordo is? That's our the county we live in. But what's it translate to in English? I don't know. Fat Hill. Oh, is that where the name comes from? Well, th- there you go. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. And you took Spanish class in high school. It's the only thing you learned. I colored again. You colored mostly, yeah. yeah. Okay. You had to color in the counties of Iowa. I didn't know Cerro Gordo was Spanish. Uh, you wouldn't think, but it, I mean, it is. I know you don't have research on this, but I'm going to ask you, why? Why is it Spanish? Oh, because in 1870... 18- no, I don't know, man. <laughs> Fuck. Because up, up this way, you know, in northern United States, you find a lot of stuff named after Native American words. Right. Because that's who was up here, and we ruined their lives. Yeah, that's the tagline to America. We th- we ruined it. <laughs> we we broke them. America, we broke it. Because that's like uh, you know, in like in Minnesota, it's all it's a mix of like Native American stuff and then like like Norwegian stuff. A lot of Norwegian. Know? Yep. So I, I'm surprised to find that our that the county here is, uh, and a lot of the other ones are just lame. It's like Mitchell and Worth, and it's just you know yeah. words that sound very uh, very European. But I didn't know Saragorda was Spanish. It's yeah. very interesting. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, That's why I said it. A couple of the, the big beers uh, for me that well, I Well, this like one's big. It's 32 ounces. Oh, I meant popular. Excuse I me. I know. I was just, <laughs> that was good, though. I was just, Josh, I'm just having a good time. Uh, 
There's one. He does have a name for one. They call it the Rongo Rongo. Mm-hmm. No idea why. Mm-hmm. Didn't ask. What county is that? Um, <laughs> Where's that near? <laughs> Ames is in Rongo Rongo County. <laughs> yes. Um, but that one, it's a, a New England style IPA. What does that mean? So it's it's a newer style that's come on the last like probably 10 years, maybe we'll say. Okay. Early on in brewing, yeah. the, the goal was to make as clear a beer as humanly possible. Right. Really? Yep. And it became vodka. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. I don't mean like clear as in like, no, no, no. I'm talking like no. I'm having uh, fun. No haziness. You know what I right. mean? Right. Yes. No, I know. Okay. Because like a lot those, especially uh, kind of microbrew beers and stuff like that, where you can, sometimes there's like actual chunks in it. Chunks. Yeah. I was almost yeah. going to say silt, and I'm like, that's not the right word. <laughs> sediment. But, like, but sediment. But sediment. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. But there, there's like actual stuff yeah. in it. So, so back in the day, the goal was always to make it what they call a bright beer. Right. You know, clear of all that. Yep. The shift kind of came in. Yep. And they started putting oats and different things like that mm-hmm. to give you that silkier mouthfeel. Mm. And then the way they use the hops changed Can we start well. a band called Silky Mouthfeel? Um, yeah. <laughs> Boy bands. <laughs> I'm actually a real fan of, of that phrase, Silky Mouthfeel. Actually. Makes sm- me pretty happy. Like a smooth R&B band, maybe? Either that, yeah, that yeah. or like a, honestly, I would even go for like kind of an acid rock. Oh. Kind of a, a, you know, like a fish band. So, like, oh, okay, yeah. Here's Silky Mouthfield. They're going to play a three-hour set with four <laughs> songs. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah, and then so the the way they use the hops change too mm-hmm. as to where instead of putting them in earlier in the boil, you have to boil beer for 90 to 60 minutes. Days. On the, on the, oh, home, on the home brew scale, I should say. But that's when you put your hops in to get your bitterness. Right, and the early I interrupted you with a joke. He said ninety to sixty minutes is yeah, how long you. Yeah, and that's that for home brewers. I shouldn't say I don't brew commercially, so I don't know. Because yeah, because do they boil it usually in like the big vats? Yes, and stuff like that. So it probably yes. has to take longer. It takes a while just to get that to boil. I know it does because yeah. there's some imperial styles, the really dark mm-hmm. ones, where I've read that, um, or I read as a podcast I was listening to. They they boiled it for like thirty six hours to get it down to where they wanted oh, okay. it. Oh, so, yeah, because there's so much in there. Right, so I know it's longer than that. Yeah. but well, because just think about when you like have a full like if you're trying to make a lot of spaghetti. Yeah. Oh, like, it takes forever. You have a lot of water in there. How long it just takes to get to boiling as exactly. opposed to like a small saucepan. So again, so now multiply that by a factory size yeah. <laughs> vat of beer. So anyway, the, which the, is already thicker too, which takes harder to boil. Oh yeah, yeah. So the the earlier the hops go in. Yep, you're gonna get more of what they call the alpha acids, and that's the part that's really bitter, mm. right? Yeah. So with New and England, the other beer that you make off that is the beta acids, and that's for cucks. That is actually in hops. That's for beta, but I figured. Um, I just wanted to. I'm. I'm you're having, having fun. I am having fun. I'm. So, you. This is the most like focused I've seen you on getting out information. I'm trying, and I'm fucking you up. I'm so sorry. It's like going through a landmine field right now, but <laughs> I'll get there. I'm in a silly mood. Good, because we're almost done. We gotta enjoy this. I know, and I've been having fun the last couple of records we've done. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. Friendship and podcasting is fun, so Dustin. And I'm trying to have, be really joyful as we talk about this beer because I want to get money from that. <laughs> you really want that sponsorship? It would be perfect, actually. Anyway, keep going. So if you put hops in towards mm-hmm. the end of the boil, right? You, you pull out less of the bitterness, right? And you can get more of those. They use a lot of like the tropical hops. Stuff right. like that, you know, the uh, Trop Hops. Trop Hops, thank Hasht- you. Hashtag Trop Hops. Exactly what they're called. Anyway. They fucking should be. Um, another method they do, too, is as a beer starts to ferment, mm-hmm. they'll actually throw the hops in. 
there's theories that you get a biotransformation from the yeast. Mm. And from all that... What does that mean? I'm not a scientist, my friend. <laughs> I think you just you get different flavors than you normally would. My favorite thing about your beer knowledge is you love throwing out complicated terminology and then going, I don't really know what that means. Heard, I, res- I respect you for it. I've heard the word. <laughs> now, it is... Um, because hops, because technically what is a hop? It's a flower, technically. Right. So yep. it's a flower. Are hops kind of like, because you mentioned like tropical hops and like hops from places, are they kind of like wines where they almost taste different if they're grown in a different region? Like, like yeah, different, the, the different ter- grapes the, grown in different the areas. The terroir of it will be huge as far as where. In okay. certain regions. The terroir, would you say? Terroir, terroir. I don't know. Okay. I just want to anyway, make sure. It's the region. Okay. Um, but so they will, they'll have a, literally a different flavor than if they are. Is it necessarily yeah, the process? No, absolutely. No, no, absolutely. You're okay. right with that. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes it's it's just because literally um, the ground they're grown in. Washington and Idaho are a really big area for for the United States. Interesting. Okay, and you can get the same breed. Yeah, you get two totally different effects off that same hop. Mm. And then a new thing we're getting a lot okay. from uh, New Zealand. Yeah, Australia we get a lot of those. Um, the German hops are more the noble ones they call them, so they're not as fruity. Right, they're more for those traditional beers, you know. Well, because they have the the strict the the Reinheitsgebot. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's close, right? Yeah, Reinheitsgebot. Yeah, I think that's it. Something like that. But they have they have the the German purity law, which again is not what you're thinking of. No. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. The the growing of the hops in the okay. certain area will definitely have an effect. And when you pick them too, uh, you know, in harvest, from right? Early to late will also have an effect. Right. Well, yeah, because it's kind of like um, honey. Depending on what types of plants the bees pollinate from, yeah. the honey will taste different. Absolutely. So if they're if they're doing it off of like plants that fruit, the honey will taste like that fruit because that's the pollen they're taking it from. Do you it's know how many different kinds of honey there are? I know I'm sidestepping hard, but let's do it. I, I don't. I looked up. I think I found like I know there's more, but I found like 20 different kinds one day because I was gonna do a beer and I was looking through them all. It's yeah, kind of fascinating, really. No, there, there's a. I, I used to know a beekeeper. Um, and uh, yeah, he said it was depending on the plant that the yeah. honey got their pollen from. It makes the honey taste different. Yeah, or, I saw, or, I saw honey, eucalyptus honey, and that sounded so awesome. That sounds interesting. I yeah. bet it's really smooth. Yeah, the Drinks. thing with brewing with honey, it is 100% fermentable, so you lose a lot of. Because it, so it's it, almost kind of like well, it basically just disappears in the yeah. in the vat. You just get you get more booze basically. It's, it well, it's what's interesting about honey is just it's. Damn near pure sugar. Yeah, exactly. So and that's just, what that's what the yeast eat. Exactly. To make yeah. alcohol. So yeah. Yep. Those yeast are happy though. They get a full meal. Well, sometimes. Oh. Depends if you pitch the right amount. You can overwork those little bastards. It, <laughs> that's what they used to say about uh, you know, factory workers in the eighteen hundreds. It's exactly <laughs> about what the, they said. About the child workers. Hey, you can overwork these little bastards. Um how so you always hear about with like making bread how touchy the yeast can be. Yep. How finicky are they in beer brewing? Are they a little stronger or are they easy to kill? Well, they're more tolerant to alcohol, and that's why you use brewer's yeast opposed to okay. red yeast because it just can't handle. Right. Once it gets to a certain so level, it's going to die. They're out. a little bit of a stronger yeast, a little more. Yeah. Okay. And there's so many different styles of yeast out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. You but know. like, but you always hear that with like baking bread of how touchy the yeast can be. Because you know, like your yeah, starter and, yeast and how easy it is to oh, kill. And brewing and stuff yeast like that. is very, very sensitive to the right. to temperature. Again, how much sugar you have in that beer. Right. To how much yeast you have pitched. That can mm-hmm. totally affect the flavor of the beer. But they're less finicky than like bread yeast would be. As far as with alcohol, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. They're more tolerant to alcohol. Okay. Yep. Well, that's very interesting. It's kind of yeah. I like that. Uh, Dustin. Logan. Throwing a fucking curveball at the show. Do it. I have some hashtag fast facts. Fuck off. 
I do. Well, throw them at me, dude. I'm going to throw some at you. So uh, I don't remember if we've covered this, but I did just find uh, when I was looking here uh, about how much beer is usually consumed during an Oktoberfest during, in Munich. The Munich taps, uh, when they get all their kegs go, going, uh, how much is usually consumed in that two-week festival? Because usually they do it for two weeks yep. in Munich. They consume upwards of 75,800 hectoliters. They had to put it in hectos. That's when you know they mean business. You know they mean business, which is about 2 million gallons of beer. That's a lot of brew, baby. That, that's a lot. That is a lot. Um, a lot of the stuff we've covered, uh, we mentioned how the early, like the first Oktoberfest was about the marriage uh, between Ludwig. Uh, well, see, now this one here says it's in celebration of the marriage of the crown between the Prince of Bavaria, who later became King Louis the First, really, to Princess uh, Therese von Saxon Hildburghausen. I've seen on multiple sources the one I gave out, so okay, I'm sticking with mine, and I'm not going to do anything to look it up now. I wouldn't. I'm not gonna. I wouldn't bother. But the festival concluded. It was a five day festival. Is what this this one says. Five day festival, which uh, concluded with a horse race. That is true. Horse race. Jesus, my, that, my that mouth was the, today. That was the main thing for the longest time right. was horse races, yeah. The horse race, uh, so that's good. You get everyone liquored up, and then now let's race our horses, <laughs> which are known for being, you know, not finicky at all. They probably liquored up the horses as well. I would. I would. Loosey-goosey horses? Horse race held in an open area that came to be called the Theresienweisse, which was Teresa's Green. Named after oh. Teresa von Saxon Hildeberghausen. Uh, so that was a fun little thing that it ends in a horse race. So now, you, to those of you listening, if you want to have a, uh, a an official, a, a proper Oktoberfest, get drunk for two weeks and bust out some horses, baby. Yeah. You got to bust out some horses. We're going to have to do that next year. We're going to have to buy a horse. Fuck. Yep. Um, and then one thing. I don't think we've covered it in the show yet, but something I looked up while making our opening theme, which, yes, which I is, made. Which is lovely, by the way. <laughs> I made it. It's passable because uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not a musician by any means. Uh, but one of the things I started looking up is because I was looking for uh, inspiration. I was looking for – I kept looking up polka music. I kept going like Oktoberfest, polka, and looking for stuff like that because here it kind of – I feel like we may have covered this before. I think we have. Listen, we've been drunk. But we I'm gonna drink cover it again. a lot throughout this. We drink this, a lot so. cover this. And I, I edit these babies and get them out. So it's like I, I haven't listened to any episodes since we've done it. But the 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 music, it's technically not polka. Because the version we think of is a different type of polka. The, October Traditional Oktoberfest music is called Oompa. Oompa. Which is O-O-M-P-A-H. And the difference is that uh, Oompa is, it's very similar to polka, but it's its all brass. So there's no accordion and stuff like that. It's mostly just a brass band. And it's its a German folk music or Volkmusikian. Um, and. Or, 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 sorry, Volk. Yes, yes. Volk, Volkstumlich music. That's okay. what it is. I just made up a German word the first time. Well, that's fine. I think the other th- biggest takeaway from this is it's more fun to say than polka. I would say, yeah, it's more intricate. Yeah. Now, here's a weird thing I found, though, in my research of songs that have become popular in Oktoberfest celebrations that are that are not Oompa. 
or anything. Is this about David Hasselhoff? No. Okay. But he is a weird German star. He is. <laughs> if you don't know that, David Hasselhoff, yes, the star of Baywatch and Knight Rider, he weirdly, he started a music career and he became a huge fucking star in Germany. He's fucking Germans huge. Germans ate him up. Do you know that he does a cruise? No, I didn't, but yeah. it didn't surprise me. In, yeah, I heard, at all. A, I heard he was on a show. I was listening to his interview and yeah. Yeah, that was one of my favorite jokes in uh, the movie Dodgeballs, where he ends up being the coach of the German team, and he's yelling at them. <laughs> yes, see, and that's yeah, that that <laughs> that's what that that's comes a from. reference to it. Yeah, yeah. And he just had he had a a couple of hit songs in Germany, and, and he's he, fluent in German. He does he, sing in German. He, that's as the thing. Well. Once his song kind of hit there, he started doing German songs, and so he had one that's just called "Du," which is German for "you." But I remember it because uh, they also use it in the movie Euro Trip, and they made a joke about. David Hasselhoff being big in Germany, and it's just like, do do a long cosmic fish nail. I don't. Those aren't German words, I don't think. But it sounded lovely. But that's uh. It, but no, a weird song in recent years because you can you can look up playlists of like Oktoberfest playlists, right? And it's a mix of traditional oompa music. It also they they have just started kind of accepting polka music that's been around long enough so it's it's be, now it's kind of this mix of stuff which is really interesting it's kind of just this melting pot of music now. It used to Oktoberfest used to be strictly oompa music. Right. But now since polka's become so associated with it, they, they just brought them in. They just have polka in it now. A song though that weirdly in Germany in the official Munich Oktoberfest that's become wildly popular and is in all of the fucking playlists I've found is Take Me Home Country Road by John Denver. I mean, listen, I do like that song. I'm going to admit it to everyone. I don't fucking care what you say. <laughs> I don't care what you say. It's a song I'm a little over, but... Yeah, I mean, I hear... Yeah, it's over. I'm just over it. I don't think it's a bad song. I'm just kind of over it. And also, but I But that's get, fucking hilarious, by yeah, the way. For some fucking reason... There's a lot of Germans who love to stand around going, take me home, country, yeah, West Virginia. Does that not make sense, though, when you're fucking wasted? Like, I, I can picture myself with a huge stein just. It weirdly kind of shows how we're all the same, that when we get drunk, we like to sing about experiences we've never had. <laughs> and about people we'll never meet. People will never, places we'll never go. You know, all the Aruba, Jamaica. <laughs> right. Uh, like it's, it's, I think I it just shows that there are certain songs that are drunk songs forever. Exactly. So it's it's funny that even a song here that's this weird little folksy pride song is now this huge song in, in specifically German Oktoberfest celebrations. Can you, it's not just a famous song in Germany. It's a famous just, yeah, Oktoberfest song. Can you imagine being walking down with your Stein? Yeah. And you're just out of the- If, you were, of, if we were over there. Right. And you start. And we hearing, didn't know this. And you start hearing John Denver. You'd be like, "Why the fuck?" And you saw everyone in Munich, which is the biggest celebration of all, and everyone singing John Denver. You'd be like, "What? Am where am I? What episode of the Twilight Zone am I fucking in that the Germans are blasting John Denver, saying they want to go to West Virginia? No one here's been to West Virginia. Not probably not. I bet one. Most of the Americans. Most of the- <laughs> We're at the festival have not been to West exactly. Virginia. Uh, that is fantastic. Isn't that fascinating? I love it. And seriously, I, I'm i not even showing you. If you get on Spotify and like just look up Oktoberfest, ones that have like, there's some that just do like traditional music, but ones that have like a mix. Because there's some that have like, you know, you know 99 Luftballons in it, or sorry, yeah. 99 Luftballons. Oh, oh, oh. 99 Red Balloons. Uh, and also, by the way, Luftballons is not German for Red Balloons. They changed that for the American version. Luftballon is a hot air balloon. 
Well, that's shitty. That's what a luff balloon is. But they had to Americanize it. Because it was so too to, hard to say. To, well, I think to fit the meter, so it was 99 red balloons. Because the song's about war. So the song, so I, actually, I think a luff balloon is technically a Zeppelin. Uh, oh. Yeah. But it's a song about war. <laughs> but we changed it to 99 red balloons. We had to make it fun. in the summer sky. But like, you'll find songs like that and a couple other German hits, you know, kind of more popular music. And then just hidden in there will always be... Fucking Take Me Home Country Road by John Denver. It's the, it's the strangest thing I've found in all of the research for this show. Well, listen, if they accepted the Hoff, then I'm not super <laughs> surprised that that snuck in. That's fair. Okay. But, uh, oh, well, this is another long intro. We better get to the movie, huh? That's all right. That's all right. I'm okay with it. There's not. No, we got, we got stuff to talk we about. We got stuff. But... We got stuff to talk about. Yeah. But uh, let's go. And for the last time, because this is our last movie we're watching, actually. Yeah. Because the next episode, we're doing another episode after this, but it's going to be more of a wrap-up. We're going to kind of just kind of talk. We're going to rank our best, our favorite beers, our favorites of the movies. We might even get to some of the research we were too drunk to get to in previous episodes. Uh, so we have some plans for the last episode. But this, so this is our last movie, and it's also the last movie of the franchise that started it all. Um, Bring Tissues. Not because of the movie, mm-hmm. because I'm sad this is coming to an end. Right. I'm gonna I, cr- I might cry. We might cry. We might cry next episode. Yeah. Tune in next week for... Sobbing. Eight, for Uncontrollable, 80, snotty sobbing. 80 minutes of sloppy crying. <laughs> uh, but before that, that's a whole other let's, episode yeah, away. Yeah, let's wait. Let's... Okay. Yeah, st- hold it in. I brought it back. Be strong, because right now we got to go watch Jaws for the Revenge. Let's do it. Let's go. Woo! Woo! Meet your boy. Ric Flair? It has attacked her family. It picked up Sean. It killed your father. And haunted her dreams. <gasps> when it killed Sean, I knew with absolute certainty it had come for him. Now, there is one last battle to be fought. We're heading straight for it. He's gonna hit us! Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine. Jaws. The Revenge. This time, it's personal. Okay, we're back. We watch Jaws the Revenge. Normally, we like to crack up another brew, but we're not because we just have one <laughs> big ass. We one. usually split three beers a piece, and this is about three beers. We're, so we're just drinking one big ass beer that is three beers. So, Jaws the Revenge, which is largely considered to be one of the worst movies ever made. People talk about that all the time. It's always it's kind of it gets on lists of like so bad it's good movies a lot. You know. Because um, it's not good. I don't even think it should be on those lists, to be totally honest with you. Well, no, I, I don't think it, it's not so bad that it's like laughable and fun. Here's my thing, though. I do think straight up it is better than Jaws 2 and 3. As a movie, it is better than both of those two movies. It's ridiculous. Certainly 3. Certainly 3. Certainly 3. Well, I think this is what they were trying to do with Jaws 2. But it's more focused. It's more character focused. Yeah, they do care a little more, a little more, a little more. Let's not a give l- it too much no, credit. No, I'm not. I don't. I'm not saying it's like a good movie. I genuinely though enjoyed watching this more than Jaws two and Jaws three, and honestly, a couple more of the movies we've watched this month. Okay. Strangely, Jaws the Revenge is kind of high up on my <laughs> list of movies we've watched this month. I do see where you, they, they do focus more on your characters. It's more, they, they do. It's they more do. focused on characters. I don't know. It just what I would have liked. Yes, is a little more background. They they kind of a little more development. Is that is that fair to say? Of who? Just 
everyone. I mean, I know okay. we know the wife. Obviously, we know Ellen. Right. Not worried about her. But like like Michael, he's mm-hmm. just he's a scientist. Well, I have more on that in a, okay. in a second okay. too. Um, but yeah, so basically, the plot of Jaws: The Revenge, and that's how it's known. It's not called Jaws Four. It's called Jaws: The Revenge. The basic plot is there's a shark. There's, I mean, that's been the the plot of all the Jaws movies. Are there's a fucking shark? This one though, there's a fucking shark, but it actively is taking out its vengeance on the Brody family. To the extent, yeah, of following Ellen Brody to the Bahamas from where Michael Am- is from Amity, which is in New England, all the way down to the Bahamas, where her son Michael now lives. If you're gonna watch a Jaws sequel, I genuinely think this is the one to watch. It's not good. It's not good. I want to get that out of the way. It is not a good movie. It is a bad movie. It. The difference though between from this and Jaws two and three is that this. Feels like a movie though. Yeah. Jaws 2 felt like a weird, I don't know. Jaws 2 almost felt like a TV movie the way it was made. Yeah. It felt so sloppy and cheap. It was very forced. Very, very forced. And then Jaws 3D just feels like it's a world. It doesn't feel like a Jaws movie. Just just because they're just like, Michael Brody is here. But it doesn't, it just feels like a schlock movie from the 70s. Even though it's from 83. but But Jaws 4 decided to just forget about Jaws 3. Yes. Jaws 4. For some reason, because there was even uh, some of the promotional ads for this movie from Universal said the third movie in the Jaws franchise. They were trying to erase Jaws 3D from this. And the continuity, too, uh, Michael Brody in this movie, that's who Dennis Quaid played in Jaws 3D. This movie is played by, I believe his name is Lance Guest. I think think you're right. Um, And... Now Michael is is a marine biologist instead of a... Uh, technician at SeaWorld. Yeah, whatever he does. Yeah, it does. and that's they, the thing with Josh Rope. I don't even know what the fuck he does. They, they. I, I think he's. He seems to be an underwater welder. Is what his job seems to be. He's fair, a, hey, fair enough. He's I'll take a it. he's a Watergate scientist in Jaws 3D. But in this one, he's just straight up a a, a basically a marine biologist, and he's studying conch shells he's studying yes. underwater snails, snails yeah. and how they migrate and stuff i guess and then um, uh, sean the younger brother is well, currently yes a police deputy in amity so the movie opens in amity on christmas this is a strange christmas movie and jess brought that up because she, she heard it in the other room while i was watching it and she was just like why is this movie on christmas and i guess like, i didn't I even know. think about that here's here's something i thought about in the 80s you have a lot of action movies and thrillers and horror movies that start taking place around Christmas, which I think was kind of a trend that was started by Gremlins in 84. Yeah. And because then think about it, like Lethal Weapon, Christmas. Die Die Hard, Hard. Christmas. Um, There's several other horror movies take place Christmas. This, Christmas. Black Christmas. uh... And then even to uh, Shane Black, who uh, wrote the first couple Lethal Weapon movies. And he's the one who did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which also takes place over Christmas. He also wrote... uh, the Last Boy Scout, which I believe also takes place over Christmas, if I'm if I'm correct, but it's in L.A. where it's like you can barely tell. Um, he has straight up said in an interview, he goes, "That's a way to immediately raise the stakes of your movie. It's a holiday. Everyone already has emotional connotations to Christmas, so already Christmas gives the audience an emotional reaction of just oh, it's just the holidays because that already brings so much stress, so much stuff to Christmas. Yeah, it's a clever little uh, little coup. But it seems like this." 
was kind of a trend in the 80s of just, oh, make a movie that takes place at Christmas. Even though some of these movies came out in the summer and shit like that, but just Christmas became this weird season. Yeah. Especially when most of these movies have nothing to do with no, the holidays. But it was just that. Well, I think, too, you know, with something like Die Hard, it was the excuse for John McClane to, to go to a, LA. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it creates just little narrative uh, shortcuts, I think, sometimes. Convenient plot point. Yeah. Yeah. But that was just something I, I had. Because this movie came out in 87. So this is now 12 years after Jaws, which is 75. It's 12 years after Jaws. Continuity-wise, though, it doesn't super make sense because now Sean Brody, the youngest son, who was, I want to say, like four in the first movie, maybe? Oh, maybe five? So, yeah, maybe really maybe five. Super he's, young. He's now a police deputy in Amityville. Or Amity, not Amityville. That's the other movie. I do that sometimes. That's a house. It's a house. But he's a police deputy. And then Michael, who I want to say is maybe maybe 12 in the first movie. He is now married in the Bahamas, which that's fine, because by 22, you know, he, or 22 or 24, you could absolutely be married. But he's already got like a five-year-old kid. Yeah, and like, a beard. And a beard. <laughs> he's got a beard. <laughs> it's a little off, continuity-wise, of from 75 to then 87, you've grown up and gotten married, and you have a daughter now who's several years old. It, it's doesn't super add up but the, yeah the movie opens up it's christmas in amity and lorraine gary is back as ellen brody they kind of brought a lot of the original cast for this first there's, scene we'll we'll get to that in a okay, second yeah, okay, there's, okay. A, there's a couple of weird returns of cast members strange ones that you didn't have to yeah bring when back. i went through the imdb I was yeah like, why yeah they're they're weird pulls but it starts in amity with ellen brody and sean who was also in jaws 3d but this movie tries to erase Josh Again, yeah, the, from both, the from the bo- canon. Both brothers are in it, but yeah, they mm-hmm. definitely, which is fine. I I want to forget Josh 3D. Yeah, so I can understand what the studio does. I get it. Yeah, eventually Sean gets called out to clear some driftwood that's stuck in a buoy or something that they yep. have to move because boats are going to come back in the harbor and the coast guard's busy. So he goes out there and he tries to move it and then is attacked by a fucking shark. Attacked by a bit. Yeah. His arm gets bitten off first. Yeah, a frig off big shark. Yeah, he gets his arm bitten off. I was, I was wondering if he was just going to get his arm bitten off. And then he gets, then the, the shark slams into the boat and pulls him out. And I was like, oh, fuck, they're killing Sean. Before we get too far, was that not the worst look of like an arm being bitten off? Because you could just tell he definitely <laughs> put his jacket over. I couldn't tell his arm was bitten off at first because yeah, it just looks like his jacket's he, over it. Well, because he just has his arm tucked into his coat. And then he's like, oh, oh, no. And there's just some blood on him. It's so unclear that his arm got bitten off. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what they're trying to that's say. Yeah, okay. And then he gets pulled in the water and he gets killed yeah. and and the shark kills sean brody which is which was kind of a twist to me i wasn't expecting that i didn't i thought the whole family was gonna be fighting was facing off against the shark i didn't realize the youngest was gonna get killed um so and then they're getting hot right off the gate yeah man it, well kind of you know remember in the first jaws they kill a kid the second kills a kid that's true gotta raise you know? the stakes i guess speaking of the second kill being a kid because it was uh alex kittner when then Michael and his wife and daughter come up to attend the funeral of Sean Brody, they go to the house to find uh, mom, Ellen Brody, and inside is the mom, Mrs. Kittner, played by... Same lady. The original lady from 92... Uh, Lee something or other. I, I don't have her name written here. Uh, Lee Fierro. Lee Fierro, who I did find this year died at age 91 from coronavirus. Oh, I thought you were going to say shark attack, and I was going to be like, no... <laughs> No, no. I was just gonna say that 
the coronavirus claimed Mrs. Kittner, which is interesting because in Jaws we kept talking about how it kept making us think of coronavirus. That is a little ironic. And then yeah. in this one, I looked it up and realized, oh wow, she and you know she was ninety one. This old, but but weirdly, she's there, and so is the uh, I don't have her name here, but I just wrote her down as the uh, the that's not funny lady. Yeah, I can't remember who, who's I on, know. but she's on the city council. She's on city council, yeah, she's in Jaws too, but she's there too. They're just at the house. It's a weird throwback. It's a weird callback of these characters yeah. that we haven't seen in a while. And then there's also the character of Polly, who's the, uh, the Brody's secretary, but it's played by a different lady, though. Yeah. But so they, they kind of like are trying to create the world, which like you didn't really have to do. I didn't need to see Mrs. Kittner. Now she's like best friends with Ellen Brody, even though she hated Martin Brody because he didn't close the beaches and got her son killed. It's if once I once it showed her, I'm just like, well, why is she there? Why would she want to hang out? It's clearly just like the studio being like, hey, look, see. Or maybe it's just like a, hey, my son got killed by a fucking shark too. Yeah, could be a little bonding moment. Maybe, for the maybe yeah. there's yeah, yeah, a. Maybe. I would I would like to see that story actually. That'd be a. I think maybe a better movie. If you had Ellen Brody, they and could Mrs. have flushed that one out. Ellen a little more, Brody yeah. and Mrs. Kittner finding friendship through their. Wouldn't that be something if they made like a really serious drama around this and like the shark's such a. Probably a better movie. It'd be kind of a weird thought. Well, that's why I think this one's actually better than Jaws 2 and 3, because it's mostly a character drama. It's true, though. With a shark in the background. They don't focus on the shark as much. Again, it's not not good, but it's like, it's the thing this movie didn't do that the other two Jaws sequels did right away. Ran the shark down your fucking throat? Immediately. I mean, it does. In the kill, where it kills Sean, but it mostly does it in kind of fast cutting. But but there's a big gap after that, too, where we get to know our characters. Because the first two movies, uh, Jaws 2 and 3, is immediately like, Shark kills something. Here it is. And like, but Jaws 4, this one lets you have, there's a couple of scenes. It's building the world. You're re meeting the Brodies. It's, uh, it actually starts a little coy. It starts the way the movie should about this. And there's not a lot of kills in this one either. Mm-mm. No, there's hardly any. It's, it's mainly, it's close calls. Yeah. So you got Sean. Sean, there's, there's the, some lady in the beginning. The lady, I missed that. Um, some like, lady in the well, she's on the when they get to the Bahamas, right? Doesn't he attack someone? Not right away. No, I don't think so. Okay, maybe it I... attacks the lady on the who's riding on the the banana boat with the granddaughter. Okay, I I, I imagine something. Maybe it was a dream someone had. Maybe it might kill somebody else. But I don't think it does. I think okay. it's it's strictly going for the Brodies. Right. And here's the thing, too. This movie shares the same thing with Jaws two, because once they're there for the funeral and Michael goes out to talk to his mom. Uh, one of the first fucking lines she says to him is, it waited all this time and then came for him. So much like in Jaws 2, the immediate thesis is, well, it's got to be shark revenge. <laughs> she immediately is just like, no, this is shark revenge. A shark killed my son because of revenge. Which is funny because she's so skeptical in the earlier movies. Like, mm-hmm. no, no. It was also a bummer in this movie... Because in Jaws 1 and 2, one of the most pithy and kind of charismatic characters is Ellen Brody. She's just kind of light and fun, has great one-liners, stuff like that. And in this movie, they make her so dour. She's so sad and broken, which I I, I get what they're trying to do. And she was the only one they could get to come back because they couldn't get Roy Scheider back. Um, I forgot to mention that for Jaws 3D, they tried to get Roy Scheider back, and a quote from him, he said, uh, Mephistopheles himself could not get me to be in another Jaws movie. That's the devil. That's Satan. That's a that's a word for Satan, but yeah. that he uh, he refused to come back. This movie, they tried to get him to come back and to get him to be the first kill. The movie's going to be the shark killing 
Martin Brody. I think that was where Jaws the Revenge was going to come from initially. Kind of makes sense. I, I get it. I would see it. I would see doing that. And they also tried to get Richard Dreyfus to come back, which like he didn't do the last ones. So why the fuck would he? But so they couldn't get them back. So they got Lorraine Gary to come back to play Ellen Brody. But yeah, she's just like shark revenge. Definite shark revenge. Yeah. It's absolutely. She's shark immediately revenge. set on immediately. that. And then hangs on to it. Hangs on to it and weirdly has. ESP. A, well, like a psychic connection with the shark, because she always knows when the shark is like nearby, when the shark's about to attack somebody. There's a scene later when they're in the Bahamas, and she just kind of knows the shark is attacking oh. Michael. And that was intentional, you even know though that? she's not there. Yes, I've heard that they okay. were they were trying to add a level of mysticism in the movie. Yeah. To, what I love about this one, reading the Wikipedia, this one of how everyone was just like, "Oh, this movie shouldn't have been made, but the studio wanted to." Because exactly. even the, the director, I believe it's Joseph Sargent, I think is his name. Yep. One of the quotes I read, he goes, oh, like, they basically just forced us to make this movie. We didn't want to. And he, and he literally says, to make it watchable, we decided to inject a bit of mysticism in it. Which I appreciate that level of being like, no one fucking wants this movie. I'm going to do something weird with it. Because no one wants this movie. Let's give it a shot. No one wants this fucking movie at all. What's crazy too with this movie, Mm -hmm. all the other ones took like two years to make. Yeah. They got this fucker done in like nine months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they greenlit it in 86 to have it out by the next summer in 87. Yeah. So this one they run. Well, because they hired him. They hired Joseph Sargent. And they said, we're making a movie called Jaws the Revenge. No script. No script. They had no (laughs) script made. And he was just like, fuck it. Okay. I'll make a movie, I guess. Ellen Brody has this weird psychic connection, and uh, Jess actually had a really great theory. She said, what if it's Ellen Brody's psychic power has made her manifest a shark, causing it to attack people? And I actually fucking love that idea, that she's so hung up on the fear of a shark attack, it's made her psychic energy create a shark, which is then she's worried about a shark attacking her family. So she's made it happen. She's astral projected her consciousness right? into a shark. Right? I'm in. I'm, I kind of love that, right? I'm in. One thing I read too, because there's no explanation for it. It's just, they're just kind of pretty sure it's a shark taking out revenge. Reading uh, about Jaws 4, they did a novelization of the movie, which they used to do a lot. They used to make books about movies. Oh, all the time, yeah. The novelization for Jaws the Revenge, the the person who wrote it, they tried to flesh it out a little bit more, and what they did is they made it a person who had a dispute with Martin Brody. and Because I think he's in the book. But a person who had a dispute with Martin Brody, and they also practiced voodoo. So they put a voodoo curse on the Brody family. They to, took they took some liberties to make, in writing this. Here's the thing, though. I'm fucking here for that. I'm into you the know, voodoo shark movie. Honestly, I would rather have that be in the opening to at least give me, right? like, just to be like, okay, sure. Which also goes with my pitch of cereal shark. Yeah. A breakfast cereal shark where it's a voodoo curse that makes the, the toys come to life. That's why you like it because you're like, dude, this supports my movie. But no, I like it because if you're going to, because a, a sequel to Jaws is a bad idea no matter what. If you're going to do it, just Commit, fuck, commit. Go, go wrong with it. Come in. I get it. You know? Plus, they were it, like they had a lot of Jamaican characters. It only would have made sense, honestly, to bring in a voodoo priestess. Well that's, well, that's why I think they put it in there was that it was already taking place in the Bahamas, kind yeah. of in the Caribbean. Yeah, so then after the funeral for Sean Brody, uh, then Michael and his wife convince Ellen to go to the Bahamas with them. So she does. 
Uh, they go down there. Flying them there is Michael Caine as Hoagie, uh, which is such a great character name. I forget his full name. It's like I don't. I can't remember. I want to say. I'm just making it up. I want to say it's Hoagie Carmichael. I don't think it's Carmichael, but I just like Hoagie Carmichael rhythmically. No, Hoagie Newcomb. Newcomb. That's right. Hoagie Newcomb. Um, which I gotta say, Michael Caine in this movie. I mean, he's a good actor. Since the first Jaws, this is the first likable character in a Jaws movie. I really like Hoagie. He's he's just aloof and he's fun. He's and... just happy to be there. Yeah. He likes gambling. He's not very good at it, and he doesn't really care. He just flies his plane around. I like there's this subplot of because Michael because because Hoagie then and uh, Ellen Brody they start having they start dating they start having a little romance and Michael gets really concerned because someone because Martin Brody's dead Martin Brody died of a heart attack but Ellen Brody says the shark still killed Martin Brody it's there's a scene where she's like no it killed killed your brother it killed your father and Michael goes well no a heart attack killed dad she goes it was the fear. The fear of the shark killed him. It's like, wow, okay. Fear so killed the, Martin Brody? The level of paranoia with her is already... It's been clearly there for a fucking while. Yeah. But so the fear of a shark killed Martin Brody, which I don't like because I like the character of Martin Brody, so I don't like that he, apparently he was in his last days just going, oh, no, and then his heart stopped. I don't care for that. Yeah. I'm calling bullshit. I'm calling bullshit. I'm thinking the man ate too much fucking bacon because he looks like yes. a man who eats a yes. fuck ton of bacon. Yes. He's 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 handsome and sexy, but in that kind of thick dad sexy a little bit. So yep. he definitely doesn't have a great diet. No. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, you know, he's slender. But, yeah, I... I uh, that I don't like that whole thing that it's just like no the shark just the the looming presence of a shark killed your father get fucked okay he already killed two I don't yeah <laughs> like, he's he would be ready for a third yeah he Fuck killed that and I know we're erasing Jaws three but also your son killed another one this family's business is shark killing at this point okay <laughs> but then but so Hoagie starts having you know Michael's concerned about Hoagie dating his mom. And I love there's this through line where he starts asking his friend uh, Jake, which is played by Mario Van Peebles, doing what I'm going to call an inconsistent Caribbean accent. I was going to say the best. <laughs> you think the best? The best Caribbean? If he would have committed one way or the other, because sometimes it's just like, nah, man, we're going to do this. It's like really over In the top. the opening of Jake, it's very heavy. Yes. Very heavy. You, I, To me, I could tell what scenes were shot early on in production and which ones were later, because the ones early in production are very like cool runnings, just yeah. like, nah, man, this is what we're doing. Clearly someone pulled him aside yeah. and they're like, Mario. No, we don't talk. About I don't this. even think that. I think he just. I think just he gave up. I think he got bored a little bit, or because honestly, later in in other part, not later in the, but other scenes, he does it more subtly, and I actually like it. I think it sounds better. I just, I my the what I the sense I had was it seemed like he probably started with a thick accent because they wanted him to like Jamaican it up. Yeah. But then he because when it's more subtle, it sounds more realistic. It sounds like a better character than when he's being so over the. Excuse me so over the top with it well yeah i don't think any actual jamaicans talk like mario's jamaican accent no in the beginning of that movie well no because the, it's the it's the impression of jamaican like they have there's a couple of words he said that were actually really close pronunciations of like little things that like the jamaican accent does but otherwise it just feels very over the top but then later, like, I don't know, there's just quieter scenes where he's just being a little more naturalistic and the accent works better. So it's it's just it's a wildly inconsistent accent. But he's he's 
Michael's uh, research partner or whatever. Right. Yep. They're working on their thesis together, I guess, maybe about, is what it is about or something. snails. Yes. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, also, Mario Van Peebles' dad, Melvin Van, Van Peebles, in the movie. is in the movie. He plays the mayor of the Bahamas <laughs> or the town or whatever it is. They don't really say where they are. Yeah, it wasn't very specific. Um, but, but Melvin Van, Pe- Van Peebles, if you didn't know, was uh, an early he, – he basically is kind of credited with creating the black exploitation genre. Because he made the film Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, uh, which is kind of one of the first in that genre of like 70s, you know, kind of. Uh, compared to like Black Dynamite now? Well, that's what that's what a exploitation movie is. Because yeah. that's that's a parody yep. of kind of exploitation cinema. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But like Shaft, uh, Dolomite, yeah. stuff like that. It's all that that kind of movie is exploitation, Which they call it exploitation. A lot of people who made those movies kind of steer away from that because they feel like they weren't exploiting themselves because a lot of them were actually some were made by white producers just being like ah they like these black movies of guys in big hats but a lot of them were actually made by black filmmakers and black actors and really got to be huge like Fred Williamson ended up being a big box office star by starring in these small uh, produced movies but Melvin Van Peebles basically created that genre Uh, didn't Mario make a movie about his father, he played his he father did. in the movie. Yes, yeah, yes, I, I forget thought. what it's called, but I he did. Too, he, but yeah, pl- he he played Melvin. Kind of told the story about it. Well, Mario Van Peebles is in Sweet Sweetback's badass song. He playing a young Melvin Van Peebles oh, in nice. it. Uh, the, of Sweet Sweetback. Um, that movie is very seventies, <laughs> but uh, it it was a good watch. I remember enjoying it. Yeah, so it was fun to see Melvin Van Peebles show up in it because he didn't do a ton after the 70s. Sure. He was in a few things and basically created this huge genre for black filmmakers and actors in the 70s, but kind of got swept under the rug a little bit because his movie was so independent. His movie was so independent and was so kind of anti, you know, white supremacist police stuff, which at that time you could not talk about. Right. Really. So probably took a while before it really. A Got little big. bit, yeah. Because yeah. even in, in a lot of black exploitation, what's considered you know the quote unquote black exploitation movies, a lot of it there, it's drug dealers and crime lords who are white taking advantage of black people. So it's still like criminals you can fight against, but it wasn't quite like fight the man yet, really. Right. Um, which you know movies now you can kind of do a little more of that, but back then you really weren't doing it. the movies that were about taking on white police officers were like Serpico and stuff like that, where it's it you know true stories about a cop uncovering. Uh, you know, a, a corrupt police department. But you, you, you couldn't quite do it then if you wanted to get, you know. Anyway, I got really sidetracked. That's okay. But Mario Van Peebles plays Jake. Uh, he does have my favorite line in the movie, which is, because, again, this takes place around Christmas, and there's a little gathering where they're exchanging gifts, and uh, Michael opens a present. It's a it's a, a shirt. shirt. It's a loud Hawaiian shirt, and he, he holds it up. He goes, oh, nice shirt. And Jake goes, uh, may your sex life be as busy as your shirt. And honestly, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to use that in my life <laughs> going forward. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that line of dialogue. I will go out and purchase busy shirts and write a card yeah. from now on. Exactly. Yeah. And give he, it to inappropriate people I shouldn't give it to. He also had a line with his crew because they're they're working and they're not really finding anything. And he says, if mediocrity were fattening, we'd be whales. And I love that, too. So there's there's little gems in there about that. Um, But... There's a shark. It follows them to the Bahamas. Starts hunting the Brodies, and um, then Michael say, "Well, 
I should say Jake talks Michael into secretly tracking the giant yes, shark. Yes, because once they have a That's confrontation the... with the shark, then then now Jake wants to pivot the research. Yeah, because he thinks it'll you know make him. Well, and he says in the movie, and at this time was true. He's like, uh, we can track an animal that we don't people don't know a lot about because yeah. they really didn't know a lot about the great white sharks then, and we still don't know as much as we could about a lot of other animals, you know. But so it's like let's. Let's tag him. So he puts a transmitter on. It's the size of a fucking Pringles so can. So huge. <laughs> How they do and it is they get the shark to rear up at meat, and then he just stabs it in the fucking face. Well, and I with think the transmitter to drive home the revenge story even more. Uh, Mario Van Peebles is underwater at one point, and mm-hmm. Jaws, our shark, swims right next to him and doesn't attack him. Yeah. And then. Uh, Later, Michael's in the water and he gets attacked. So yeah, it's furthering this. Well, in that scene, because the shark just is along his little sub and he's like, "Whoa!" Because the shark's about as big as a sub, and then the shark just leaves and then goes at the boat and takes a bite out of it, going Where, for Michael. Yeah, and then Mario Van Peebles gets up there and he's just like, "He's like the shark ignored me and went for you. Why is that?" You yeah. Know? So they're furthering the um, revenge story. When, and it's funny too that they they delete Jaws three from the canon. But the scene in which Michael is running from it in the sub and it like he hides in the boat and it crashes or this old shipwreck and the the shark crashes through and then he he takes the bottom off his oxygen tank to propel him towards the surface. That's a scene they took from the original Jaws 3 screenplay. That's hilarious. So even though they're pretending like that movie didn't exist, they're taking scenes from it. Well, they borrowed <laughs> a lot from the original Jaws 2 because we had to have the whole... Yes. Seen in the kitchen. Well, here's a th- here's what pisses me off about that. Because there's a moment where Michael and his daughter, have the- they mirrored the scene from Jaws 1 where Sean copies Martin at the dinner table, copies his mannerisms. They do that. Would have been a cute little scene, but they already showed it earlier when Ellen is at the funeral and she has a flashback to that scene. And then they do that scene like an hour later where then Michael and his daughter do that. I think if you would have just showed that scene, it could have been just cute. But you already showed it to me. I'm like, yeah, I get it. We're already supposed to be thinking about this. Ellen also has flashbacks to scenes she was not there for. Yeah, a lot of them. I noticed she, that too, where she's like, you could have never. She has a flashback to Sean being killed. Yep. Was not there. She has a scene. She has a flashback to Jaws 1 of Brody. smile, you son of a bitch. Yep. She was not there for that. But they just play those scenes with a sepia tone filter over them, yep. which is so cheap and shitty. But that's like her having. So th- this movie creates this world where Ellen Brody's she's actually, a psychic. Yeah, she's Jean Grey. Yeah, <laughs> she's the Dark Phoenix. <laughs> like she, she's this all feeling empath who knows yeah, everything. There's probably it's, about a good three scenes where she feels the shark. And yeah. she'll zone out. She just senses the shark is uh, is near. It's it's very interesting that she has this like telepath, yeah. and that's why I like that theory of that she's manifested the shark. I, that, yeah, it kind of I like it. Kind of plays. Jess brought that up. I'm like, oh, I'm like that's so that's so bad. It's good actually. So as we said, Michael gets attacked. He goes mm-hmm. in the ship. He escapes. Doesn't tell the family about the shark. Does not tell the family about the shark. That's a big deal because later, when. So Michael's at, wife is receiving an award for a shitty sculpture she built before from that, Melvin though, Van Peoples. We see Michael, who has to get back in the water. He is determined. You know, I appreciate the line of dialogue because he said, "He said, if I'm afraid to get back in the water, what can I do? Because his life is being underwater. Right. Which I'm like, I actually didn't hate that moment of character development of him being like, well, no, if I don't do this, then my, my career is over. 
I'm a marine biologist, for God's sake. It's true. If you're scared of the water, you're going <laughs> to... You can't be a marine biologist if you're scared of water. So, so actually, anyway, like the, he, and he, Mario, like, uh, Mario Van Peebles, like, backs off. He does. Like, he tries like, to okay. stop him, and then he lets him he's go. He's like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. So anyway, he he's going back in the water, and he does. T- Mario does tell him... <laughs> Which his character's named Jake, but I like that we keep calling him Mario. <laughs> I like it better. I like it, Mario. Yeah. Okay. All right, Jake. No, no, call Mario. Call Mario. Mario. No, I, like I was it. like, hey, man, your wife's the I'm just <laughs> no, kidding. It's not oof, that thick. Oof. It's not that thick. Yours wasn't that thick. It was just bad. It was bad. It was white, sir. Oh, <laughs> no, that, keep going. Did you sound like a leprechaun? <laughs> listen here, man. Oh, listen closely, oh, listen. man. You, oh. can't, you can't get back in the water. <laughs> There's a fucking shark Why? down there. Oh, no woman, no cry. Uh yeah. <laughs> Everything coming up iry. Go ahead. So as Michael is yeah. conquering his fear. Yes. And his fucking wife, shark attacks. His wife is presenting her wonderful art, which I thought it was gorgeous. You no, I I just like it, it's just metal sculpture, but like they but in the presentation they're like she made this piece to like represent our island and like they well they don't even give a good show a good look of it really all you no, all you like see a... is you see in her shop you see random like jagged shapes which I'm not a, I'm not against I I I didn't mean to be down on her art but you, you don't even get a look at it. Yeah, we don't see it in its you don't entirety. Get a look at what she makes, and she's like a, a welder, like artist. She has like a garage where she's. They clearly doing... went way out of their way to yeah. not show the art. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, but she's doing like metal sculptures, but we don't really see it. But she's having this big release on a beach, right? Yeah, gross. That's a gross phrase. Is it having a big release? <laughs> it on <a> is. Beach. <laughs> yeah. Gonna keep going. She's yeah. having a art display. Yeah. Oh, on gross. The <laughs> she's showing some shit on the beach. <laughs> some people yeah anyway her daughter sees her her, her little daughter's out on a boat yeah little, little banana boat being yep. dragged behind a jet ski little inflatable boat yep yeah with some people and just ellen brody at that moment is like i smell shark or her whatever spi- her spider sense goes off yeah it starts tingling and then the shark attacks the boat that has the granddaughter on it and eats a woman and so that's when then ellen brody's just like Fuck it, the shark's here for revenge. So then Ellen Birdie goes out, Shanghai's a damn boat. Yeah, <laughs> steals, she becomes a pirate. She becomes a pirate. She steals a boat to just go shark hunting, I guess. And then the shark finds her. Meanwhile, Michael and Mario Van Peebles, the actor, uh, they decide to go get Hoagie. Which I know we haven't mentioned Michael Caine a lot in this movie. He's actually in a good chunk of it. He's just not related to the shark stuff much. He's just yeah. part of the Ellen Brody story. Again, genuine. I mean, Michael Caine's a good actor. We all know this. But, like, again, I'm going to say it again. He's a likable. I liked Hoagie. He was really I fun. Actually, I actually I, really I en- liked Hoagie. I enjoy the scenes with him because <laughs> they're funny. They're they're light. They're, they just flow really well. He, br- he brings this much-needed levity to the movie. But he's also compassionate to Ellen and trying to help her. Yeah, he's really, he just wants, because even too when she's just like, it's definitely shark revenge, he's like, he's like maybe there are other possibilities to yeah. what it is. But anyway, let's just dance in this parade. You know, which I noticed too, the way he dances that is exactly how he dances in Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> yes. So that's his move. Well, I am now, I want to look up other movies he's in that take place during Christmas because I want to create a Michael Caine Christmas. Where you watch Jaws 4, Muppet Christmas Carol, and whatever else he's in. Yes, please. And just him doing his little dance and just be like, it's Christmas, love. I just want I want to find <laughs> I want to find all these movies. But so that Michael and uh Jake, played by Mario Van Peoples, the actor, they <laughs> they they get in Hoagie's plane, which and here's the moment I liked. 
because throughout the movie, Michael's starting. This is way looping back to something I said earlier. But Michael keeps asking like people like, "How well do you know uh, Hoagie?" Because he right. wants to know about. And there's a moment where he's talking to Jake too, where he's just like, "He's like, do you know him?" He's like, "I know pilots down here like fly drugs and stuff too. What does he do?" You know, blah blah. And Marvin Van Peebles is like, "I don't, I don't really know." And then they're in a plane, and then I like this moment because Michael just goes, "He goes, what do you do when you're not flying people?" And he goes, "I fly laundry." And I like it was I don't know it's like the best bit of character development these movies have had since the first Jaws of just this this mystery we had of like who is Hoagie and they make him seem like the they make him seem slightly shadowy because he loves gambling yeah he very likes, careless very uh, womanizing because because even Mario Van Peebles the only thing he says he's like he's like he loves gambling he loves women I don't know yeah so it's like already you're like I yeah I guess I don't know if I'd trust him with my mom exactly and it's like oh no he he flies laundry between the islands and stuff yeah, like that he's not a bad guy. He's just a guy. He just loses money at the craps tables any, and he, every now and then. He tells an amazing amount of stories. He has stories. He has great stories. Yeah, because the very end of the movie, he just goes, uh, you know, he's like, want me to tell you about when I flew 100 nuns to Bolivia. Uh, <laughs> but but so they fly after her and then make the, I'm going to say, terrible decision to land the non-aquatic plane in the water. <laughs> I noticed that, too. And I noticed, too, in the landing and the propellers hit in the water, I feel like those fuckers would have exploded. Maybe, yeah, but it looked like a real plane landing. Though. It did. It looked like a real, actual plane landing, uh, but because he radios the position of the boat to the coast guard, and he's like, and then we'll land and we'll help her out, and they get in the boat, and then the plan is to put some sort of transmitter in the shark's mouth, and if you then, it's confusing. But then if it's you essentially two flashlights from what two, I can see, it looks like <laughs> it's that's the props they use for flashlights. <laughs> Jess walked back into the movie at the very end when Michael's just got it in the water, the sharks in the water, and she goes, "She's he's gonna kill it with a flashlight." <laughs> See, I told you. And I go, "No, it's there's something in his mouth. I still don't get it, but it's, it's meant the other flashlight." Well, yeah, because they put another thing in its mouth that's also an underwater <laughs> flashlight, and apparently it's supposed to confuse the shark or something, and then. Uh, while uh, Mario Van Peebles, the actor playing Jake, when he jams it into the shark's mouth, the shark also grabs Jake, played by Mario Van Peebles, the actor, around like his chest. I mean, he like grabs and he they, you see him the shark's you mouth. You see him take it under him, and then because they already had from the transponder they had in it before, they could hear the shark's heartbeat to know when it got close or whatever. And then it loops back to come back at the boat again, and then Michael fires the flashlight. <laughs> Which make the, the makes, you say flashlight fires the flashlight and makes the shark come. No, fire, <laughs> fire, fires the flashlight, which makes the the shark do unshark things like raise above the water and go. Rawr! Yeah, it does growl. All the sequels love the sharks growling. Sharks don't growl. No, they make no noise. No, there are two very distinct growls when he does. Yes, the, and it comes the with flashlight. Like, Maybe and that was then, him coming. <laughs> and, then, and then they ram ram the boat, the stern of the boat, into the shark. And to quote the Jaws 4 Wikipedia page, it inexplicably explodes. It does, too. It does. It just fucking blows up. I remember up. watching it being like, why? Why, why yes. does that explode? They had an original ending that where they 
speared the shark with the boat, and then the shark thrashing like destroyed the boat, but the shark like slowly died as it did it. But for some reason, audiences te- did not enjoy that. The test audiences didn't like that, so they're just like, I don't know. Y- y- Couldn't explode? We'll poke it with the front of a boat, which will make sharks explode, I guess. And then that's and then they're all laying in the water, and then Marvin Van Peebles is just still alive. They just find him. The, again, just- the audiences, for some reason... Really needed Jake to live through that. I mean, he's likable. I, I enjoy I, him, you know, but like I said, these honestly, this of this movie, it had the most characters I've liked since Jaws one. Yeah, of a Jaws movie because Jaws two and three, I don't give a shit. Probably a lot less cocaine too. Probably it seemed like it. Uh, but they then they they all get away, and then Ellen goes off with uh, Michael Caine to go wherever the air. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. We just get credits as she's in the plane. Oh, no, it's just kind of over. Um, uh, did you notice with Ellen and Michael's relationship, Ellen does not listen to Michael Caine. What ever. do you mean? He asks her to do things, and she just ignores him. For well, a- I don't think it's a woman's job to just listen to a man, Dustin, you chauvinist. Well, when when life is on the mat, you know, when your life is in the balance, oh, oh, true. And you when, need to, when like, the, when you need to pump true. the bills. That's actually true. At the very you need end, to steer the boat. That's true. At the very end, when they're in the boat, and he's like, he needs help pumping water out or steering the boat. She gets very distracted. What's that psychic link she has with the shark? I know. Uh, she's very distracted. That's what she, I was talking about. She's very distracted with shark thoughts. Hashtag shark thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I don't know. I... I <laughs> It's. I weirdly enjoyed this movie. It's weird. You really didn't. That's it's actually. The are most, you so beaten that like I even terrible movies are now exciting I think, you? I think I am. I think I've been just beaten down so much. I genuinely kind of like Jaws Four. It's not good. It it felt the most structurally sound though. Especially, it's always considered worse than Jaws Two and Three. I think it has way better structure and character development than those two movies do at all. And Jaws Two is following Jaws One. But is cagey about whether Jaws one happened or not. This one too, right away, is just like no, like this is shark revenge yeah. from Jaws. It's I don't know I, and then Jaws three is just a, a fucking clusterfuck. But I, I don't know I I I genuinely didn't hate it. It's not good, but no, I, I, I I watched the whole thing. Jaws two I fell asleep during. Jaws three was a a, a test, a chore. Jaws 4, honestly, was able to just kind of breeze through it. It wasn't that hard. It wasn't terrible. I got bored at certain parts. I feel like some of the the, yeah. the story through, I didn't care as much about. No, for you sure. You know what I mean? For sure. It, I, I think it just felt more structurally satisfying, though, of like, here's the scene well, of some character like stuff. Like you said, here's... it's more of an actual movie and how a movie's supposed it, to be made. It feels more like an uh, actual yeah. movie yeah, than, no, than I hear the that. first two. I definitely hear that, yeah. Um, like, again, I think this... I think this should be Jaws 2. As, yeah. much as, as much as it's ridiculous, having the shark revenge shit, but they already tried to do that in Jaws 2. I think delete Jaws 2 and 3 from the canon. This movie, ha- or Jaws 1 happens, and then 12 years later, Jaws 4 happens. Yeah. It's not a good movie. No, but, but you don't you don't need Jaws 2. That's no. absolutely ridiculous. You don't need and 3. E- the studio already forgot about, so you, you, you we're going to. You don't need either, either of them. I don't think any of them should exist. But if you're going to keep a Jaws sequel, I actually say keep this one. Now, what's interesting, though, this is the movie that inspired the joke in in Back to the Future 2, where, remember, it's yep. it's, start, it's Jaws 19, yep. and it's the, the, the screen attack. If you look at the, the tagline for it on the marquee is, this time it's really, really personal, Okay, which is specifically making fun of this movie, which is funny because 
the Back to the Future movies are produced by Steven Spielberg. Uh, and in those movies is Leah Thompson, who was in Jaws 3. But so th- that movie straight up makes fun of the idea of the Jaws sequels. It was bec- that came out right after this one came it out. It did too, yeah. And that makes sense. and makes fun of the I idea get it, though. of all these I'm Jaws sure he's sequels. Just like fuck off. I'm sure Steven's like, come on, guys. I also forgot to mention that the original title for Jaws 3 was going to be called Jaws 3 Human Zero. Which no, but here's the thing. It was meant to be a spoof. It was meant to be it was you know, written, I did read that. It yeah. was originally written by two National Lampoon writers. And the studio originally commissioned that Jaws 3 was going to be a spoof comedy. Probably would have been more fun. It probably would have been. Yeah. But instead they We got stuck with they made that version and got rid of that script. One of the co-writers of that screenplay, by the way, was John Hughes. Oh. Of Breakfast Club and yeah. Ferris Bueller. Oh, and Uncle I know Buck John Hughes. He was one of the writers of Jaws 3 <laughs> Human Zero back so when. It definitely would have been good. M- well, maybe. It sounded like uh, the gags in it were kind of stupid. Why it got shut down by Universal because uh, one of the gags in it was constantly the director was being injured, like always having parts bitten off. Because the premise of was that they were going to be shooting a sequel to Jaws, but then a shark was attacking the production of the oh, sequel okay. to Jaws. Yeah. So it was very meta. But these the the director who was named like I think they named him like like David Schulberg or something. It, it was something that's a parody name. And he was going to continually have different parts of him bitten off. And so the uh, the original writers speculate that it was Spielberg shutting it down. I don't think Spielberg gave a shit because he was just out of the Jaws game by that point. I don't point. think so either. No. I, he I, had enough under his belt at that point. I think the movie just, re- I think the studio just realized they didn't want to make that fucking movie. That's <laughs> what I realized. And then they pivot to 3D. That's great. Yeah. Because I think it was supposed to be made a couple years earlier than Jaws 3D came out. Um, but then with this movie, well, like I mentioned, the director Joseph Sargent, who was kind of meh on making the movie, there's an interview with him, I believe, from 1986 when it was being made, which he just straight up said that Jaws: The Revenge is a ticking time bomb, and uh, uh, Sid Sheinberg, the producer of it, uh, wants it to be made, and I'm going to make a miracle happen. I saw that. Yep. So it's it was just a movie they just had to get made. Uh, it was shot on location in Martha's Vineyard again. Yep. And then it, uh, on Bahamas, location in yeah. the Bahamas, it looks like I think they were planning to shoot more in Martha's Vineyard, but it got so cold there because they rushed production. Yeah. So they couldn't shoot there. And it said the mechanical shark would not work in the cold water. So they had to shoot in warmer temperatures. Wait, you tell me a Jaws mechanical shark? <laughs> Are you not telling working? me a Jaws shark didn't fucking work? That's the main theme um, of these movies. I was thoroughly disappointed with their shark, though. Yeah. Not quite as bad as 3D, but it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. It looked pretty bad. Yeah. I don't know. You would have thought those would have gotten And I understand it's back in the 80s, better. but it's just it, so, no, so rigid. It looks so fake, it, which is funny that there was reviews that praised it for its m- mobility, which just shows you how... Because there's at one I point... I guess, what's, what's it to compare to? Well, there's at one point where it just kind of like... There's a close-up of it and like twists side to side. I think it was just a way they hadn't made these shitty shark puppets move yet. So people, I don't know, so people were praising that. That was the only thing I found praise like of any because there's scenes praise where it. you'll have the dorsal fin, and then it literally just falls straight down. Well, and, so, and there was one shot where like the dorsal fin, dorsal fin seems like it's like seven feet long. Yeah. It just it just drops, <laughs> and it looks like it's just made time. of rubber. The way it like just like yeah. My favorite quote from the reviews though is from Roger Ebert for the Chicago Sun Times when he said, uh, "This movie is not simply a bad movie, but also a stupid and incompetent one." 
it I read it did make the least amount of all Jaws movies. It, it does. Uh, one last thing I'll get into is uh, Michael Caine being in this movie. Michael Caine could not attend the Academy Awards for which he won his uh, his Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for Hannah and Her Sisters because he was shooting this fucking movie. He was doing the reshoots for the, the ending. Yes. Yeah. So he could not receive his Oscar because of making this movie. Can you fucking imagine missing? missing that's probably the only one he's won. I believe it is the only one he was yeah, won. So he had to miss that. I think so. <laughs> to yeah. fucking shoot Jaws for. Um Lorraine Gary. Lorraine Gary, this is weird. This is her first movie in eight years. Oh wow. The last movie she had uh starred in was nineteen forty one, which was Spielberg's first flop. He did a movie called nineteen forty one, which is a comedy about World War II starring Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi in the early 80s was a huge flop. I haven't even heard of it, so yeah, it must they must be burying was, that shit. It was a really big flop. I I think it came out in like 80 or 81. Okay. Um was an absolute flop uh and I I believe in Spielberg's career it was kind of a blow for him and was like he was a little bit in trouble. But then after that, he made uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and E.T., so he was he, he, fine. Uh, he bounced back. He was fine. Okay, yeah. He was fine after 1941. Okay. Yeah, yeah 1941 is sandwiched between uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind and then the first Indiana Jones in E.T. He's fucking fine. He's I, fucking fine. I feel like some directors <laughs> have had uh, worse, worse runs. Yeah. but uh, So this was Lorraine Gary's first movie in eight years, and then it was her last screen appearance. Oh, wow. But she talked about how she was uh, terrified to be in the movie with Michael Caine, not because she was so because because he, he was uh, well he was just kinda, coming off an Oscar well an Oscar and also he was in in movies in the seventies he was kind of a sex symbol he was this really you forget in the seventies the sex symbols were Michael Caine and Elliot Gould like you could be you could be kind of a meh looking actor and be just a handsome dude so I missed my time period we both did okay. Uh, <laughs> But so she she said she was really nervous, but she said even though it was this, you know, ridiculous movie, Michael Caine, the first scene they shot was them dancing during the parade with yep. all with a hundred extras. And she said his focus and his charm, he was unflappable and it put her at ease during the movie. People ask Michael Caine about this movie. Uh I, it sounds like generally while they were shooting it, he had a good time. I, I read this. It's 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 fun. But he um because like during the movie, he said, you know, uh, about Jaws three or Jaws four, it's like you know, it's part of movie history. The original was one of the great all time thrillers. I thought it might be a nice to be mixed up with that. I like the script very much. This is my best Michael Caine impression. It's really good. Later though, and this is one of my favorite quotes, is he just says, uh, "I've never seen it, but by all accounts, it is terrible. However, I have seen the house that it built, and that is terrific." And then in his autobiography, he wrote, uh, the movie will go down in memory as or that that time will go down in memory as the time when I won an Oscar, paid for a house and had a great holiday. Not bad for a flop movie. (laughs) I read interviews where he's he's mentioned, like, if it's winter, shoot a movie where it's warm. Yep. Yep, yeah. I've heard him say yeah. that exactly. <laughs> so, the the he's just, he took money to be in this movie, and I I like that that point of view. Just like yeah, it was a bad movie. I bought a house. Yeah, I paid for a house. Make the best of it with this bad movie. And he still he still did his job. And honestly, winning an Oscar and not having to go to the ceremony doesn't sound that bad. No, <laughs> you get the aplomb of it. A, skip a speech. Exactly. Don't have to do the sitting there all day in yeah. a suit. I don't know. He's probably already been before. You know. Yeah. Once you go once, I think you get the experience. Yeah, it's fine. You don't got to talk in front of a bunch of people. I'm I'm into that. 
I'm into it. Yeah, this is another Michael Caine quote, but this is from this is from the movie where because the the shark at one point after they land and Michael and Jake get out, the shark then sinks the plane. I know exactly what you're going to say, but go ahead. <laughs> with Hoagie still in it, and everyone's like, oh, no, Hoagie's gone. And then suddenly he's just at the back of the boat, and they help him up, and, and Michael goes, how'd you do that? And he says, it wasn't easy, believe me. And we get no more information from it. You, well, remember to he mentions he has bad breath? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's this whole underwater scene that we don't get to see. Yeah, Michael swims under a boat, which I'm sure is a very easy task. And is there for a while? It's a good minute of like just screen time. Their timing in this movie is so horrendous because when uh, Jake goes under two with the shark, yeah, that is the longest gap. He was gone before, for a long before, time before uh, Michael hits him with the fl- the flashlight. <laughs> yeah. It, well, and then you just never see him again. So he might have been underwater for like I don't know ten minutes. Yeah. So even while injured, while mortally wounded, he was still holding his breath like a motherfucker. <laughs> like I don't know. Again, this might just mean me me being broken from Sharktoberfest. If you're gonna watch a Jaws sequel, I say watch Jaws four. I kind of dig it. Yeah. Skip the other two. It's not. It's not good. But I don't hate it. I don't know. It's weird. I wasn't begging for this one to be over like I was with the last ones or like with The Shallows or, you know, a couple yeah. other movies we watched a month where I'm just no. like, fucking end. This one I didn't have that because I think it just. It was easier to get through. It, well, it just felt the right amount of stupid. Does that make sense? Yeah. Also, that's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to quantify, but like it's it, more balanced than the other ones we've yeah. watched. It, it just follows really basic movie structure. The, the amount of stupid in it just feels fine. Because, I, I don't know, I guess with Jaws, a sequel to that is hard to do well. And this one's just like, yeah, if you're going to do a sequel to Jaws, which even though Jaws 3D was actually more schlocky in its premise, but they did it so boringly, because that last half hour felt like days. You know what I mean? When the when all the action is supposedly happening. Yeah. This movie, though, it's, it, I don't know, it's melodramatic, which you kind of need. Every, everybody Everything's so intense, needlessly, about it. There's a couple of good one-liners. I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah. I'm pro- I think I'm just a broken man at this point, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't hate it. That's all right, though. Hey, at least you got something out of it, you know? Hey. Yeah. We're ending on a high note. I'd agree. I, it's yeah. not, it's, again, it's not good. We wanted to find a good shark no, movie. We didn't like find said, it. But... It's not the fucking shallows. No. No, that movie I was just bored and infuriated with. I fell asleep during Jaws 2. Yeah. Jaws 3D just wouldn't fucking end and just milked its second and third act, you know? And there wasn't uh, a floating shark in this one at the screen? Oh, like God, yeah, there was just a weird out-of-time-and-space shark prop floating in the foreground. Yeah. No, I don't know. But so that, that's my takeaway from Jaws the Revenge. Could have been worse. Hey, could have been worse. <laughs> and it was. It was called Jaws 2. Uh, I don't know. I Everyone kind of says like Jaws 2 is the okay one. I, that one was my least favorite, honestly, of you the Jaws sequels. hated that one. I hated Jaws 2. It was boring. It was so yeah. fucking dull. And I feel like, especially with you, because you are such a student of film, you see the things a lot of us don't see. I mean, maybe. I, I don't even know if I want to get so far into that. I just I just felt bored by it. The I don't know. I, the thing I hated the most in Jaws 2 was the caginess about whether Jaws 1 happened. No one really wanted to admit the first movie. Right. When Jaws 3 and 4 are just like, this is a sequel to Jaws. Jaws 2 kind of tries to play almost like it's not. Like, like no one mentions. Everyone surprised the giant sharks in their waters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It, and it takes place in Amity a couple years later. Right. 
Like it shouldn't, it, shouldn't be a surprise. It makes more sense in this one for like 12 years later being like, no, another shark? There's no way. Right. You know, that makes more sense. Or especially in, in you know, in SeaWorld where it's like, we're not it's on a different part of the country. You know, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I hear you there, yeah. I don't know. It, it is weird how everyone's just kind of like, a giant shark? Because honestly, of the Jaws movies, I go one, four, three, two. That's how I rank them. That's okay. how I rank them in quality. I mean, it's one giant <laughs> leap, four, three, two. That's, there you go. That's yes, how yes. I, I rank them. Well, I'd, I'd say that's going to do it yeah. for this one, right? Yeah. Um, Our next episode, we're not necessarily going to get into a movie specifically, but we're going to kind of wrap up a little recap. We're going to recap everything. We're going to do a little kind of type a little bow. We're going to reveal our top picks for beer. We're going to pick our, our three favorites. And I'm sure if you've been listening, you already know a couple of them. You probably have a pretty good idea. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to review our, t- our our reveal and review our top three beers. We're going to say what they are, and then we're going to suss it out in that session, I think, which one's our favorite, our full favorite. Yeah, we're going to try them. We're going to... Um, I, I want to do, like, we're going to do a kind of, a, I think, a full ranking of the stuff we've watched this month. And uh, I, I have a plan. I'm going to kind of explore common stuff within them i and i we've i don't yeah. know we've we've a couple ideas for other little little segments little deals we're gonna do but it's gonna that one's gonna be a little more loose a little more which is fucking saying something for this show <laughs> uh, <but laughs> be afraid <laughs> but we're, we're gonna kind of hop all over the place but we're gonna we're gonna wrap this month up uh with just a little little bow a little yeah. little conclusion episode of of sharktoberfest so uh i'm excited for that i we're almost done it's again, yeah. like we've said, it has felt like uh, it's felt like a week and also five months. The at longest the same short time. month ever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, uh, well, I think that's uh, going to do it for us. Yeah? yeah. 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 I'm Logan Nielsen for my co host, Dustin Pixley. And as always, Moga dein Sexleben so beschaftigt sein wie dein Hemd. Very nice. Thank you.